Welcome to episode 308 of Live Happy Now. Whether we realize it or not, all of us have certain rituals that help us feel grounded and connected. What if we could learn how to use those rituals to improve our well-being? I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today we're talking with Jan Stanley, who specializes in helping others live happier lives through the creation of habits, practices, and rituals. She's here to talk about how adopting an intentional ritual can help reduce anxiety and can even help manage the grief and disruption created by the pandemic. Jan, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you so much, Paula. So great to be with you and to be back at Live Happy. It has been way too long since we have talked to you. So I'm really excited to be able to talk to you today. Thank you. And the excitement and the pleasure is all mine. Well, you know, I, as I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about the first time that I saw you and it was at the Canadian Positive Psychology Association conference and you were talking about rituals. I still remember that talk so well, even though there were like 80 talks that we went to that week. But I remember that because you completely changed the way that I saw things because of your talk on rituals. So to begin with, can you tell us what you mean when you talk about rituals? Absolutely. So Looking historically, when you think about ritual, they're as old as the human experience, really. And when historians or cultural anthropologists speak about rituals, one of the things that they describe is a ritual that connects ourselves to something larger. So think about ancient rituals to honor nature or to create a shared community experience to celebrate the seasons, or even to worship some form of a deity. Of course, those differ from culture to culture. But when you think about those things, it's really connecting us to something that's greater than ourselves. And so those are the ancient traditions and kind of some of the handed down rituals that we still celebrate to these days, things that have been handed down, like uh, solstice rituals, for example. But today we have this entire body of research on the science of well-being and positive psychology. And so modern rituals can draw on those ancient ways of going about honoring nature, honoring things greater than ourselves. But we also can take a bit of a turn and rituals now can also be sources of connection to our own personal experience. So they can be sources of warmth or they can be sources of meaning. When you think about it, we're using some of those traditional elements of connecting to something that's larger than ourselves, but we're also honoring elements of our own personal experience. And so when we think about that all together, we see that rituals can both connect us to the past, to the present, to something that's larger, but it also can provide avenues for us for kind of internal guidance, for ways that we can think about our lives and extract meaning from our lives. So in essence, I guess you could say ritual can help us to live more deeply and more intentionally. It's interesting because with ritual, we think of something big and traditional and like a machine, you know, just the word ritual can seem kind of intimidating, but you create very casual rituals as well. And things that like in our daily life, can you kind of talk about some of the different types of rituals that we can use? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you think about rituals being handed down, those are the kinds of rituals that you can adapt to fit your lifestyle. An example of one might be when I grew up, it was very common to say grace or to say a prayer before eating a meal. Nowadays, it's not so common, at least in terms of like the mass market of how people live their lives. But there still can be a moment where we think about the how this food came to be on our plate. So we can thank the farmers, we can thank the stores, the people who deliver food to us. All of those things are a way to kind of modernize that practice. And if you have a faith tradition or a religion, obviously you could you could blend that into the blessing as well. But when you think about when we help people design rituals for their lifestyle, one of the first questions I ask people is what matters most to you in life? What are the values that drive your decisions? So you're trying to learn a little bit about what's important to them and how they live their lives. And then you start asking questions about outcomes. What would you want a ritual to do? If you could create a ritual, would you want it to be something that adds a sacred element to your everyday experience? Would you want it to be something that connects you more deeply to the meaning of your life? Would you want a ritual that could enrich your relationships, make you closer, draw you closer to the people who are important to you? Or even would you want a ritual that would enhance a specific experience, like making a pleasant experience even more pleasant? And I'll take that one as a jumping off point. So when you think about going out in nature, which there's a lot of research on how important being in nature is to our well-being. Oh, yeah. And so we can just be in nature and that's going to help our well-being. But is there a ritual we could do that would connect us maybe even more deeply to the experience of being in nature? And so you could create for yourself some sort of a sensory ritual that could be, for example, finding a place to sit and taking in all of the senses, taking in the experience with what do you smell? What do you see? What do you hear? Designing a sensory experience that takes kind of something that's an everyday being out in nature, taking a walk and really enriches it, makes it an even more deeply felt experience, I guess. So why are rituals important for everyone? You can make a ritual out of anything, I feel like. <laughs> You're like the ritual magician. Why are they so important for us? Yeah, such a good question. There's a lot of good new research that talks about actual specific outcomes of integrating rituals into our lives. Rituals can help us reduce anxiety. They can help us, as I just explained, kind of increase our positive emotion or the access we have to the good things in our lives. They can give us a sense of hope. And on the other end of the continuum, there are a lot of good studies around how ritual can help us reduce the impact of our grieving. And I know in this pandemic, there have been a lot of losses for people, of course, the on the extreme people who have lost loved ones in their lives due to COVID, but there also have been lots of other letting goes of lifestyle and things, the way we lived our lives before. And so with all of those kind of many benefits that we can find from ritual. When the researchers, two of the researchers who have been really instrumental in the latest round of research have been Francesca Gino and Michael Norton, who both are at Harvard. And they've done a series of different experiments and research around ritual. 
And when they boil down all of the findings from all of the different work that they've done, they find that one of the things that ritual does is it increases our sense of control. So there's so much about life that's out of our control and it can be chaotic at times, certainly when we all made the pivot from the pandemic lifestyle um, before and after there was a lot that was out of control. And so when you think about it, gaining even a small portion of control can be really helpful in our well-being. And when you think about athletes, so you think about an athlete who wears a certain, uh, let's let's say a baseball player who wears a certain pair of socks and they they think those are the lucky socks and they wear those every day and they they feel they perform better when they wear those lucky socks. In a way, if you could put those socks under a microscope, if you could examine them, you know, there's nothing probably different fiber wise or color wise from those socks to any other socks. So there's nothing like magical in the sense of like the socks are imbued with some supernatural powers. But what is important is they give a sense of control. So when I'm wearing these socks, I feel like I'm a better batter. I feel like I'm I'm a better outfielder, whatever it happens to be. And that small bit of control can really make a big difference. That's so interesting because we have no control and we thought we did we used to a year ago a year and a half ago we thought well okay i have some control over my life and we've now learned differently and for people who have lost someone i'd love to talk about this for a minute because i know people who personally have have lost loved ones recently and part of the challenge for them is that they haven't been able to grieve in the way they're used to one friend in particular was not able to give his partner a memorial service yet. Mm-hmm. And for him, that is the hardest part. He's like, we never got to say goodbye to him. And so for situations that we're dealing with in grief and not able to have the traditional rituals of a ceremony, what rituals could we create that can help with that grief process? Such a good question. And sorry for your friend who has suffered that loss, as so many people have. It's really been a difficult time. And without the experience of being together, having that kind of ceremony to kind of tie up our feelings, not tie up, to express our feelings and to kind of turn the page and begin that long term grieving process. So, a couple of the things that have been found to be really instrumental in the grieving process are thinking about ways that we could commemorate or honor the people that we've lost. And I think of an example, I believe it was actually Norton and Gino that did this research, if I'm not mistaken. They talked to people and they had people write about what are their experiences that they've done in grieving the loss of a loved one. And people had a lot of range of experiences. And I think one of the things that was surprising to the researchers was they thought they would talk a lot about the the actual rites, the funeral ceremonies, the burial, or whatever choice the person used for their disposition of the, the bodily remains. They thought they would write a lot about those kind of traditional elements. And instead, what they wrote about were very personal things that people did to help with their grieving process. And I'm not even sure they were doing it to help so much as they were doing it to honor the person that they've lost. And the one that always sticks with me is a woman who who lost her spouse and 
one of the things that her spouse used to do was wash their car every Saturday morning or once a week, they would wash the car and then they'd have this beautifully clean vehicle to, you know, run errands with or go out to dinner with that sort of thing. And one day it occurred to her that in honor of her deceased husband, she was going to start taking the car into the same car wash he would have done, but kind of in his memory. So it's something to honor the loss of the loved one. And what Norton and Gino found was that people who did those personal rituals, like washing the car once a week, also reported feelings of connection to the person that they lost. And the net effect was that the extent or the depth of their grief, they reported it to be somewhat less than people who didn't have those rituals. And also the duration of that, you know, truly first active grieving where everything you do is you're envisioning the loss of the person who did it with you, that the duration of that period was somewhat shorter. So you wouldn't ever want to create a ritual that eliminated grief because grief is a part of being human, right? It's the mm -hmm. human experience. And it's a, a statement of how much we loved someone or how much we connected with someone. So you wouldn't want to eliminate it, but rituals can help us maybe transform some of those feelings from, you know, just extreme grief and sadness into tributes or ways to carry on a certain legacy. So in creating a ritual, what are the like the key components? Are, are there any commonalities that every ritual has or? Is... Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. Great. I was hoping that was the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I would encourage people to think of a ritual as having a beginning and having a middle and having an ending. And that's really important because sometimes we think about just that middle part, the action, what's the one thing that we're doing as part of the ritual, but setting the stage in the beginning, that's where we set an intention. It's where we can enter in what I and others like to call non-ordinary time. So it's a way to kind of step away from the routine or the busyness of our daily activities and to just take a moment, very brief moment to acknowledge that now I'm stepping away from that form of my life and doing something that maybe has a little bit more meaning. And you can do that by setting the intention. You can do it by deep breathing, anything by going to a particular place in your house or outdoors, a place that has meaning. Any of those types of things are the things that you can do to set the stage, to give a good beginning to the ritual. And then the middle part is actually the action, the ritual itself. And so one of the things to think about, is this something I'm doing by myself? Are there other actors in this ritual? Is it a, a couple ritual? Is it a family ritual? And think about who might be involved and then what the action is that you're going to be doing. So in your example of visiting the grave site, you know, obviously driving to a cemetery and entering the cemetery, exiting your car or your bicycle, however it was that you got there, is a part of that transition from your ordinary busyness to just the, I guess, the stillness of being in that cemetery, which can promote that non-ordinary time. And then your action is walking up to the grave. And as you say, 
maybe out loud, maybe in your mind, maybe having a conversation with the person who you've lost, kind of having a greeting and sharing something about yourself, what's going on, maybe placing a stone or some other element of that shows that you visited them and that might be something that would be meaningful between the two of you. So that would be the middle part, actually doing the action itself. And then the ending is equally important. The ending is where we, I guess to use a a term that I like to use is extract meaning or make some sense of why it is that we did this. So why did we do this for ourselves? One of the reasons for visiting our cemetery is to carry on that connection. Sure, the, the, the form of the connection has changed. So they're not a living, breathing person beside of you but you're continuing on that connection with someone who was who you loved, who was very important in your life. And so when you have an ending like that, you can take just a moment to reflect on what does it mean to me that I did this particular ritual? And there's an acronym. I'm, I'm never sure how useful acronyms can be, but I'll, I'll put it out there because for some people it's helpful. So with the beginning, middle, and end idea of a ritual, you can use the acronym of I am, I am, I am, and the I would stand for the beginning or the intention, setting the intention. The A stands for the action or the activity of the ritual, and M stands for meaning, so extracting the meaning from it. I like that a lot because I also believe that the phrase I am has so much power to it. So I love using that as a reference to remember that. I think that's fantastic. And so one of the things that a lot of people are dealing with right now is going back to work. And that's actually creating a lot of anxiety for some people. What are some things that they can do? Is there a type of ritual that people can use. And it might not be going back to work. It might be just the opening up in general. This has created a a lot of anxiety for people. So what kind of ritual could be used to help manage that? Such a great question. So when you think about these transitions, rituals are just so powerful for any kind of transition. And this is a big one and one that we're we're having in common, even though the, the specifics or the particulars might differ between people, it's still kind of that opening up phases, everyone's experiencing it in one day or another. So I would say on the positive side, a ritual of transition can be celebrating these new steps, these firsts of kind of post-pandemic firsts, I guess. So you can think about first day photos in the same way people do their kids first day of school. I like that. About Right, exactly. Kind of photographing yourself, even if you're still at home, kind of in this new setting, the new way that you're going about things, you can think about actually a celebration. So what would be a meaningful way to mark this occasion, this kind of before and after? And so it might be visiting a favorite coffee shop that you used to go to pre-pandemic. It might be taking a walk in a place that you haven't been able to get to since the pandemic, but some way to create a ritual to celebrate kind of the beginning of post-pandemic life. Another series of rituals that you might do are what I might call letting go rituals. So when you think about the pandemic, most people that I speak with, Paula, and I'm sure it's the same for you, there are some things that were so distressing and upsetting about the pandemic. And there were things that they realized that, hey, 
post-pandemic, I might want to keep this a part of my life. For me, I used to travel a lot. And so my grocery shopping was always, what should I buy that won't spoil before my next trip? (laughs) (laughs) And now I've really been able to create rituals around the types of food I eat, and I don't have to worry so much about the spoiling. Now I'm hoping to get back to travel. And so one of the things I might have to let go of is this kind of planned nutritional meal activity (laughs) that I've been able to do. And so one of the ways to do letting go are things like writing about it, drawing a picture or some way, creating something that an image of something that you're letting go and then discarding of it. One of the popular rituals that I see people doing in this transition is actually creating a time capsule of this is what it was like during the pandemic. Interesting. And so that might be something that's useful for you in helping, you know, let go of uh, transition back to post-pandemic life. But it also could be helpful for future generations. They might be very curious about what would be in that time capsule. So they're celebrating the, the returns. There's letting go. And then there's another category of rituals that might be helpful for people, which I would call reset rituals when we change state. So think of, you know, ice to water, for example, we're doing that kind of a change of state when we go back to work. Some of the things that can be helpful for those reset rituals that are everyday ways to do it would be things like being in your body. So creating a particular chair that you want to use or a pose or some way that you can a dance like a little happy dance something that you can use to reset yourself going from kind of the the pandemic life to the post pandemic life a real common one that's that's a beautiful way to do it is to plant something so to think about if you have land You could think about planting a tree. If you're in an apartment or a more urban environment, you could think about a potted plant, but something that's going to create for you that feeling of resetting. I'm doing something now that's different than what I've done for the past, you know, 12 or 14 months. I like that a lot. And yeah, we're all in different phases, I guess, and but kind of in the same big boat, paddling the same direction, we hope. Um, and it's, yeah, it's good to have some ways to to cope with the new changes that are, are happening right now. Jan, thank you again for coming and talking with me about this. I, I really appreciate you giving me your time today. Absolutely, Paula. Always a pleasure to to be together with you. And of course, to be in the live happy ecosphere. That was Jan Stanley talking about how to use rituals to improve our well-being. If you'd like to learn more about Jan or follow her on social media, just visit livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.